Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is good to gather with you again this week to praise our God and give thanks for his, his steadfast love together. My name is Kelton. I have the privilege as, of serving as one of the elders here of Stafford Baptist Church. If, uh, if I haven't had the chance to greet you yet, I'd love to do that after our service, so please stick around and fellowship with us after our service closes. For now, though, please open your Bibles with me to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. You can find Psalm 107 on page 506 of the Bibles provided for you in the pew rack. If you don't own a Bible, or if you need one to give away to someone, please take that Bible as our gift to you. The the book of Psalms is divided into five sections. We spent June in a few of the Psalms in book one. Today, in July, we're going to be jumping ahead to to book 5. So, Psalm 107, the first psalm in the fifth book. Psalm 107, return from exile. You know, Chewbacca has a name as unique as his appearance. Standing 7 foot 6 inches, covered in long, dark hair from head to toe, dressed only in a bandolier. I'm talking about the, the fictional character from the Star Wars franchise, you know, the, the co-pilot and companion to the hero Han Solo. You know, they're one of the most iconic duos in, in all of film history, right? You, don't, you can't think of one without the other. But to the uninitiated, their relationship might not be clear. Is Chewie Han's pet uh, a hired hand? Well, the the truth is more profound. The story goes that Chewbacca was actually a slave of the evil empire, kidnapped from his native planet, Kashyyyk, enslaved to do labor. So Han meets Chewie when he is chained in a muddy pit, a slave. Well, to, to simplify the story, Han saves Chewbacca from slavery and in return, Chewbacca pledges his entire life to his, his hero. He's not in it for the money. He's not in it for the lifestyle, but in gratitude for redeeming him from slavery. Can you imagine being Chewbacca, waking up day after day, your entire life now oriented, oriented around the fact that you once were a slave, doomed to a life of hard labor, but you are now free. And you use your freedom now to serve your Redeemer. I hope you can imagine that. It's not just the story of a fictional alien in a galaxy far, far away. It's the story of everyone who is redeemed from their slavery, not to an evil galactic empire, but the slavery of their sin and its consequences to the plight of evil all around us. Our psalm this morning calls on the redeemed, those purchased back from slavery, to give thanks to their Redeemer, the Lord, because He can deliver from every condition and circumstance to day after day orient our entire lives around the fact that we were once lost but are now found. We're going to read the the whole chapter this morning. Normally, I wait until after reading to give you an outline, but today I think it will help before we read to show you a few things about this psalm. 
Reading poetry can be hard. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. It's just spinning in circles. So I want to orient you to the structure of Psalm 107. You know, you'll get a lot more out of this sermon if instead of your eyes on me now, your eyes are down on your lap on God's word. So look with me briefly at the first three verses. They're a call on the redeemed to give thanks. But then starting in verse 4 all the way through verse 32, we, are, we have four different accounts of God's people being redeemed. Each of them starts with the, the same way. Look at verse 4. Some wandered. Jump down to verse 10. Some sat in darkness. Verse 17. Some were fools. Finally, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships. Four accounts. People in different conditions and circumstances. And each account, each of these four descriptions repeat the same structure. After describing their situation in a few verses, they all cry out to God, starting in verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. We have the same exact line in verse 13, and you guessed it again in verse 19, and finally in verse 28. So they all cry out to the Lord in their distress, and God answers And finally, each account invites those who were delivered to give thanks. Look at the first one in verse 8. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Can you guess what happens? Yes, it's repeated three more times in verse 15, in verse 21, in verse 31. So we have the same structure in each situation, them calling out to God And once delivered, giving thanks. Finally, in verse 33, the psalm ends with a statement of the blessing that God brings all of these groups into. We'll get into more detail as we consider these one by one, but but I just wanted you to have that before we read so you can see clearly from the start what the psalm is doing. Four stories of God's redemption in answer to prayer and the invitation to give thanks in each. So now let's read God's word. And after we read, I'll pray for God's help in our study of his word. Saints, hear God's word. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things." Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. 
Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Please join me in praying for God's help in our study of this word. Our Heavenly Father, your word calls us the wise, to attend to these things, to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So, Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom this morning, wisdom to be attentive to the truths of your word. Lord, that this morning, by your word, we would consider the steadfast love of Christ who has redeemed us from our sin in every condition, in every circumstance, has rescued us and promises one day to rescue us and bring us to himself in heaven. It is with this hope that we pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, if you took these 43 verses and put them in a big pot on your stovetop and boiled them down to their their essence, what would it be? Our main idea this morning, give thanks for God's unchanging love that can deliver from every circumstance and condition. Give thanks for God's unchanging love 
that can deliver from every circumstance and condition. This psalm begins and ends with our attention on God's steadfast love and fills the middle with accounts of that love, how his love delivers from a variety of evils to bring us to blessing. These accounts are not exhaustive, but representative of every circumstance and condition. And the command repeated in each is to thank the Lord for his steadfast love. So this psalm is calling us this morning to give thanks for God's unchanging love that can deliver from every circumstance and condition. We're going to have three points this morning. Three points to consider this text. First, the redeemed give thanks. The redeemed give thanks, that in verses 1 through 3. Second, God delivers from every circumstance and condition, that in verses 4 through 32. God delivers from every circumstance and condition. And finally, God brings us into blessing. Third, God brings us into blessing, that in the final verses, 33 through 43. I pray that that as we go, as we study the words of this psalm, that we will consider the steadfast love of the Lord. That he has and and can deliver each one of us from every condition and circumstance that would lead us to give thanks to the Lord this morning. So let's start with our first point, the redeemed give thanks. In verses 1 through 3, the redeemed give thanks. Our psalm begins with the bottom line up front. Give thanks to the Lord. That's what God's word is is after this morning. That you would give what is proper to God thanks. A recognition of who he is and what he has done. To give thanks is, is obviously to express gratitude, to acknowledge that we have been enriched or helped by another. It's the, the proper response of anyone who has received a gift. In the Bible, to give thanks is nearly synonymous with with praise and worship. One of the ways that we give God praise, one of the ways that we honor God to give Him what is proper to Him is to thank Him, to be grateful for who He is and what He has done for us. You'll notice here in verse 1, specifically, the psalm calls on us to give thanks for or because He is good Because his steadfast love endures forever. This picks up right where we were last week in in Psalm 34. Thinking about God's goodness. Last week, Brother Paul encouraged us to to taste God's goodness for ourselves. To look for the ways in in, in our lives that God is being good to us. So I want to remind you, how, how did that go this week? How did you notice God's goodness to you? Well, the answer, after a week of that, give thanks. Give thanks for He is good. This is different from giving thanks for the good He has done, though that is appropriate too. You have reason to be grateful to God, to give thanks to God and express it because He is good, not just does good. And here in verse 1, God's goodness is closely related to his, his love. God is good. God is love. 
His love is his commitment to act for the benefit of others. The overflow of his, his own character that blesses his creation. Because the psalm says that this is who he is, therefore his love is steadfast. God never changes, and therefore his love never changes. You might know the word that he uses here, hesed. It's the word that describes God's covenant love. It means that God is faithful to his people. He is faithfully good to his people. And so, in verse 2, the psalm calls on people to say as much. To say with our lips that God is good and that his steadfast love endures forever. So here's a quick suggestion. Our first application this morning. Next time you're grateful for anything, a tasty meal, a good point in a sermon, maybe a pretty sight, say it. Say, God is good. Do it even around non-Christians. That goodness that you're experiencing is evidence that God himself is good. Why don't we practice it right now? Ready? Say it. God is good. Amen. That was easy. Three words. It points other people to God and it gives honor to God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you're joining us this morning and you're not a Christian, thank you so much for being here with us. To to you, I want to point out here in verse 2 that the psalm instructs the redeemed of the Lord to say that God is good. If you want to be able to join us and say that God is good and really mean it because you've experienced it, it's by being redeemed by Him. That's an uncommon word, but really it just means to be repurchased. Notice the second half of verse 2. Those who have been redeemed from trouble, or, or you might see a footnote, redeemed from the hand of His foe. Our trouble, our foe, is primarily our own evil. Redemption in the Bible is the idea that that every person is sold as a slave to sin and evil. You know, all of us were created by God good, but we are all now naturally rebels to God and in bondage to evil. Yes, we, we choose evil. But we can make no other choice. It is our nature. The message of the Bible from beginning to end is that the only way to be bought back from this evil is for God to redeem us, for Him to buy us back. This has been done finally through Jesus Christ. He paid the price for our sins, our payment was His suffering. What our sins deserve for all eternity, Christ took upon himself. So by his sacrifice, he absorbed the punishment due to every sinner that would turn away from their sins and trust in him. We can be freed now from sin's penalty only because Jesus took it for us. And God showed his acceptance of this payment by raising Christ from the dead. And now Jesus offers this redemption to all, all who will turn away from sin and trust in Christ. 
But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. We're reading from the the Old Testament, right? Jesus has been promised and predicted. So while Jesus fulfills this psalm, he brings ultimate redemption. That's not exactly what the psalmist is speaking about here when he talks of the redeemed in verse 2. Who are the redeemed of verse 2? Well, look at verse 3. The redeemed are those, he says, who who have been gathered in from the lands, from the four corners of the compass, east, west, north, south. You know, sometimes it's easy to read the Psalms and think they were written yesterday by a Christian for us, but we need to remember they have historical setting. While our psalm doesn't have a a superscription, you know, something above it to tell us when it was written, there are plenty of indicators here. Who is he speaking about? Well, we, we need some context. And one of the most important clues to the context of this psalm is actually the psalm before it. Yes, the psalms were largely written individually by different authors, but, but they were compiled intentionally with a very clear purpose. I hope you still have your Bibles open. Look quick, quickly with me up at Psalm 106, starting in verse 6. This psalm basically recounts the nation's sins. And verse 6 says, Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. So the the psalmist is saying that that his nation is just like their fathers who sinned against God. So he begins there in verse 7 by recounting their evil in Egypt. And the whole psalm continues to recount notorious sins in the history of God's people. And the point being to show that, that just like them, his people are sinful. The climax comes in verse 47. Read it with me. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Doesn't that sound a lot like our psalm? Giving thanks because God has gathered them from the nations? Well, Psalm 107, God has answered the the prayer of Psalm 106. So what does this tell us about who the redeemed of Psalm 107 are? Well, the redeemed of verse 2 are those whom God has gathered back from the nations after exile. You know, your mind might be in the life of David because of the Psalms we studied last week. Well, put the the VHS of biblical history in your VCR and, and hit fast forward. David becomes king, he unites the tribes, he he prospers, he sins, he dies. His son builds a temple, has wisdom and wealth, and the kingdom is divided. Keep going, hold it down. Lots of kings, good and bad, lots of continued sin and rebellion. Some prophets pop in and out. Okay, slow down. They don't listen to the prophets. So what does God do? Well, here we are, Hit, hit play. God sends his people into exile. He sends foreign nations to come and conquer his people, to remove them from their land, to destroy the temple and carry them off into captivity in slavery. It's Chewbacca, enslaved to the empire. And this is exactly what God had promised would happen way back even before David was king. 
Moses in, in Deuteronomy in his speeches to Israel before they even enter the promised land predicts that they will be disobedient and be eventually removed from the land. Exactly what Psalm 106 says. Because of their persistent disobedience, God has scattered them among all peoples. In the Bible, this event is called the exile. But God did not leave them in their exile. Again, Moses predicted long before any of this happened that God would also bring them back. God redeems his people from their captivity, just like he did from their captivity in Egypt. God is good and has constant covenant love for his people. That's what we read about earlier in Isaiah 11. For Isaiah, the return from exile was a day still in the future. That he says God would recover the remnant of his people from the nations to bring them back to the land. Well, finally, in our psalm, that day has come. It calls on those gathered in from the lands to give thanks to God. The redeemed give thanks. Well, the, the big middle section of our psalm, verses 4 through 32, recount four representative stories of that very redemption, of those that were gathered from exile back into the land. So let's turn to our second point, saints. Verses 4 through 32, God delivers from every circumstance and condition. God delivers from every circumstance and condition. We already pointed out here that we have four vignettes of the variety of circumstances and conditions that these exiles were in and how God brought them back from each of them. You might wonder why four. Well, the Bible scholar Greg Greg Beale helps us. The number four was used in the Old Testament and other Jewish literature to express completeness. Completeness. Our four... Accounts are just examples, but to the Jewish reader, they would represent completeness. His deliverance is comprehensive. These four and every like them. In fact, another clue to this is that the final direction translated in verse 3, in English it might be south, is actually the Hebrew word for sea, which happens to be also our fourth and final vignette. So he counts east, west, north, sea, and gives us four examples, maybe representing east, west, north, and sea. But we remember, they're 360 degrees of the compass. God's redemption is comprehensive. Here are four stories of deliverance. Whatever way you go, east, west, north, south, God will gather. We'll have four quick subpoints here. God delivers from every circumstance and condition first from the land. First from the land. Verse 4. Some exiles are wandering in desert wastes. After leaving the land, they are nomads without a city, hungry and thirsty, it says. And as in every case, first here in verse 6, they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Particularly for them, in verse 7, he provides for their need a straight path to a city. And they therefore, in verse 8, have reason to thank God. And this is not because they deserve it, but because of his steadfast love. So in verse 9, when they were hungry, 
He satisfies their hunger. And not just their physical hunger, but their longing soul. He fills them with good things. Not just food, but God himself. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Second, from rebellion. Second, from rebellion. Verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. Prisoners in affliction and in in irons. But why? Why are they in prison? Verse 11, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Of course, the entire exile was because of the nation's sins, their rebellion. That's the repeated refrain of Psalm 106 and, and all of the prophets. But here in particular, in consequence for their sins, they experience real physical slavery to a foreign nation in hard labor. The point of this in verse 12 is so that their hearts would be bowed down. God has a a good purpose in their affliction to humble them. Don't look away, saints. This is the message of their time in Egypt. Under foreign nations during the judges, in exile, time and time again, God brings affliction on his people through foreign invaders to achieve a greater spiritual good. Humility and dependence on God that is more important even than comfort. And because they do bound down in their affliction, in verse 13 we see the repeated refrain, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. Verse 14, he brings them out like our fictional chewy from slavery. Their bonds are burst. And the next refrain refrain in verse 15, therefore let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Though they were in prison, he breaks them free. God delivers from every circumstance and condition. First, from the land. Second, from rebellion. Third, in verse 17, from foolishness. From foolishness. Verse 17 says, some were fools through their sinful ways. Again, here the psalmist highlights the justice of their affliction. They suffer affliction, unnamed affliction, but affliction because of their iniquities, it says. Sin is evil, and God is just to oppose it. In the Bible, foolishness that he describes here, and its opposite wisdom, have, have to do with our, our relationship to God, what we believe about God. Wisdom is fear of the Lord. Folly, what they're described as in verse 17, is denial of God. The Bible says that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. Even Christians in their folly are, are practically atheists, right? Our sins, our, our failures to fear God is an eruption of atheism from our hearts. When in this, these exiles' affliction, they despise even food in verse 18. It seems they desire death. And the refrain, verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble And he delivered them from their distress. And in verse 20, what it is that that heals them is is God's word. The the Bible produces wisdom in foolish people. They are therefore spared from destruction. 
And again, saints, our refrain, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. The the last verse of this account focuses on their response to God. Sacrifices of thanksgiving. Songs of joy telling of his deeds. The proper response to deliverance is to vocalize it to others, even in such exuberance that it can only be expressed in song. Finally, forth from the sea. From the sea. Verse 23, some exiles go down to the sea in ships. This speaks not of sinfulness, but of littleness. These exiles find work on ships, but those ships in verses 25 and 26 are tossed like a leaf in the storm. Their courage melts, it says. Anyone who's been on rough water can relate to their stumbling like drunk men in verse 27. They're in deadly peril. And again, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He stills the storm by his power, bringing them safely to their port. So, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And again, this this clothing emphasizes their response to praise him in the presence of the people, in the assembly of the elders. Those that are gathered praise the God for his deliverance. God delivers from every circumstance and condition, from the land, from rebellion, from foolishness, from the sea. I want you to notice the first and fourth are particular circumstances, right? Wandering the land, tossed on the sea. The second and third are particular conditions, rebellion and foolishness. And in every one, the people have no hope to deliver themselves. And these four are just representative, the the four cardinal directions. There are 360 degrees on your compass. These four stand in completeness of God's deliverance. God delivers from every circumstance and condition. There are as many stories of deliverance as there are people who are delivered from exile. So I wonder, what what about you, whom he has redeemed from trouble? What were the circumstances of your life, the conditions of your soul, when you cried out to the Lord for deliverance? Each of the redeemed of the Lord have their own vignette, their own story, but all tell the same story. In whatever circumstances and conditions, all can cry out to God and He will deliver. Romans 10.13 For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, God's deliverance from exile that Psalm 107 recounts is to prepare us for a greater rescue from exile. You see, just like Adam and Eve, every person has been cast out of God's presence because of our sin. God has given us a law, just like He did to Adam and Eve, and some try to keep it, but no one can stay in God's presence because of their obedience to God's law. 
That is the lesson of the exile. We all fail and deserve to be cast out from his presence. But there is one who came and perfectly obeyed God's law. And on the cross, Jesus experienced spiritual exile on our behalf. Though he deserved to be in God's presence, he was cast out of God's presence for our benefit, receiving our condemnation and exile for our sins. And by his perfect sacrifice, we have been brought near. We can now all be brought back to God, restored to him, not because we obey the law, but because Christ obeyed on our behalf and gives that righteousness to us. Friends, as you think of these four vignettes, it's Jesus Christ in, who is our, verse 7, way back to a dwelling place with God. Verse 12, he is our light of the world. I'm sorry, verse 14, he is our light of the world, setting captives free. He is our, verse 20, word sent out to heal us. He is very literally, verse 29, the one who came to still the storms by the word of his power. Christ is the one who delivers us in answer to our cry to God. Maybe you're here this morning and you think you could, you could never be welcomed back to God. You've sinned too many times, in too many ways, too seriously. Well, hear the lesson of this psalm. That's not true. Everyone, in whatever circumstance or condition, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the promise of this psalm. He will save you if you cry out to the Lord in faith, in the trouble of your sins, whatever your condition. Simply come to him in faith and he will gather you from the lands in Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is true for us as well. The lesson for us is whatever circumstance or condition your life leads, God will hear your cry and continue to deliver. God delivers from every circumstance and condition. He will not abandon the good work that He has begun in you. You won't somehow escape God's ability and His power to deliver. And therefore, we all have reason to give thanks to the Lord. He did not and and does not deliver because it's what you are owed. It is a gift of grace. To give thanks is the proper response of the one who receives a gift. So our psalm this morning calls on us to reflect on how God has delivered you. First, from your sins in initial salvation and from your continued trouble in His continued Grace, do you remember what life was like before you escaped slavery to sin? What it was like to live in chains in the pit? Can you be like Chewy and day after day orient your life around the fact that you were once doomed to hard service in slavery but are now free? To church, now use your freedom to serve your Redeemer 
in thanks. As inseparable as that Wookiee was from the smuggler, you have greater reason to be inseparable from your good Savior. God delivers from every circumstance and condition. But what does he do to us once we have been delivered? Well, let's turn to our third point, the final verses. God brings us into blessing. God brings us into blessing. With the four accounts finished, the psalm turns to describing where God brings the exiles once he gathers them. This makes a lot of sense considering the historical context of the psalm, the return from exile. If the exile was their removal from the land scattered east, west, north, south, the gathering celebrated in verse 3 is a gathering to the land. The land of Israel had been destroyed And I think that's the imagery of verses 33 and 34. The promised land had been fruitful and was burned and left as a wilderness. There in verse 33, he compares it to a desert. Why? Well, there in verse 34, because of the evil of its inhabitants, because of Israel's persistent sin. But it's reversed in verses 35 through 38. Now that land is a pool of water, home for the hungry, with a new city, new fields, and a fruitful yield. And all this in verse 38 is because of God's blessing. By his blessing, God transforms the land. Just as it was God who transformed the land to a desert, God brings blessing back to land by his grace. This is not because of their deserving. They didn't finally earn this. It is simply because of his love, because of his goodness. Are you convinced of God's love, his goodness? Will he not do the same for you? Verses 39 through 42 turn from describing their return to the land to God dealing with their oppressors. Yes, God used four nations to execute justice on his people, but that nation is guilty of sin. The prophet Habakkuk was one of those prophets who complained about the sins of God's people and received God's word that that they would be exiled due to it. God tells Habakkuk specifically that that he will use the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to bring them into exile. But he also tells Habakkuk that he will judge Babylon. God speaks to the foreign invaders in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 8. Because you have plundered many nations, including Israel, all the remnants of the peoples shall plunder you. That's what the psalmist is saying here in verses 39 through 42. God is going to execute judgment on those that brought his people low He pours contempt on princes while he raises up the needy, verse 41. Church, God acted in this way to give us a pattern, a material picture of the spiritual reality that the Messiah would accomplish. You know, the things that Psalm 107 is describing happened literally in history. The the nation of Israel was gathered from their exile into the land. The nations that captured them were judged. But the restoration from exile that God promised 
is not just fulfilled in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. It is also and, and further fulfilled in Jesus' death and resurrection that brings us home, brings us spiritual blessing. And it has final fulfillment to come when Jesus returns. Biblical prophecy does that. It's fulfilled multiple what times in greater ways. You know, our spiritual return from the exile of our sin does not bring us into a physical land that's described here with water and food. No, these, this description here points us to spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Right now, in our return from the exile of our sin, our blessings are spiritual. And in heaven, because we are united to Christ by faith. They are the blessings of election, of holiness, of adoption, redemption, forgiveness, grace, and inheritance. The Spirit, our opponents, are not foreign oppressors, but our own sins and cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, those he pours contempt on. The earthly example of Psalm 107 points us to the heavenly blessings that Christ brings. But of course, there is more to be fulfilled. One day, these blessings will become physical. The prophesied gathering from exile has further fulfillment. One day, Christ will return. We will see him as he is. And on that day, we will receive our inheritance. A new heavens and new earth. Described again, just as it is in Psalm 107, as a city to dwell in. Described just as it is in Psalm 107, with springs of water of eternal life. This city has dimensions that are foursquare, complete, and full. Church in Christ, God brings us into blessing both here and now spiritually and into the age and in the age to come final and fully. Our return from spiritual exile brings us into the promised land of God's blessing, a kingdom not of this world, made up of every person who is upright, who has eyes to see by their rebirth from above. Verse 42, the upright see it and are glad. Do you have eyes to see it this morning? That the full and final blessing of our return from exile is yet to come? Brothers and sisters, we are exiles, sojourners and strangers. But look your eyes to the home that is to come. Those who have eyes to see attend these things. Consider his love. Our psalm concludes with an, an epilogue, a, a final command in 43. If you have been made wise in the fear of the Lord by God's word, attend to these things. Consider this fourfold picture of plight and salvation in each and every other story of his deliverance, yours too. Consider God's steadfast love. As he has done, he continues to do and will until we are all back with him 
forever. The hero of this story is God's love. Consider it. Don't let it fade from view into your rear view mirror. Keep it before you. Let the refrain that reverberates through your head, your heart, and your lips this morning be, let us thank the Lord for his steadfast love. If you have been redeemed by the Lord from your troubles, give thanks. Brothers and sisters, because of our sin, we deserve to be cast out from God's presence into eternal darkness. But he has not left us in our sins. Despite our rebellion and foolishness, he has provided for our deliverance in Jesus Christ. There are no circumstances, there are no conditions in which his arm is too short to save. And all this because of the impulse of his goodness and love. His love excels all other loves like the sun excels a candle. And so the redeemed sing for joy and extol him in the congregation of the people. Your loving king will come again. We are now watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Saints, give thanks for his unchanging love that can deliver from every circumstance and condition. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, when our hearts cried out to you in the midst of our trouble, you heard and delivered us from our distress. Lord, you are faithful that all who call upon the name of the Lord will Be saved, not because of our goodness. No, despite our rebellion, despite our foolishness, but merely because of your steadfast love. So Lord, this morning, the redeemed of the Lord say so. We give thanks to you, for you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever. Lord, we pray that as we leave this morning, our hearts would be set on that love, that we would consider it, that we would attend to these things, with our hope on the final fulfillment of your love, the return of the Savior, and our life forever with him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.